0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here, as always, with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine?
1: I'm so good. So, so good. How are you?
0: Glad you're great. Saturday night here, we're taping.
1: It's a pajama party, too. Usually we take a picture of ourselves, but tonight it's PJ night. No,
0: no one should be seeing the outfit that I'm wearing. (laughs) That's for sure. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, you're you're full on PJ'd out. I'm just in like some sort of sloppy mess, you know?
1: we're in the comfort of our home, we're getting cozy, and we're drinking a bottle of red wine, just like this is how people do. When they've had a massive Saturday with their tiny kids, they got to just get on the PJs.
0: I mean, we were supposed to go to a birthday party. That birthday was unfortunately canceled for reasons outside of our control, and we took that excuse and ran with it. And We said, cancel everything. We're going to stay at home. And we'll uh, tape a podcast and drink some wine and try to be in bed nice and early. Because our kids are getting up at 5 a.m. still. It's
1: it's more like 5.10.
0: 5.10.
1: You know, and that 10 minutes is valuable.
0: Each minute is not equal.
1: I have this dream of like getting up early and meditating and writing in a journal. But that would have to be at 4 a.m. That is an insane person. Or a baker.
0: Minutes are not created equal. No. That's what's. I'm just thinking about this now, but I'll take five to 510 as some of the most important minutes of the day for sure.
1: Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. And
0: maybe we're getting to 510. We'll talk about all this in a second. The point is, we're having a little date night at home here on our couch, talking all things wine, a few minutes about the kids family and we'll be on our way but i know you're excited about tonight's wine so let's go ahead and introduce that now and we'll get into it in a few minutes this
1: bottle which is such a cute label gotta say really winning in the label contest here this is bow and arrow from portland oregon it's a pinot noir and gamay blend from fruit from the johan vineyard in the willamette valley vintage 2018 and it is a juicy light delicious red wine perfect for our pj saturday night yeah can't wait to get into this with you
0: i am as well
1: did i say it was called rhinestones because that's kind of key it's called rhinestones
0: you just said it it's called rhinestones everybody let's make that clear
1: rhinestones
0: rhinestones from bow and arrow it's a great company. Speaking of great company, I've been in great company all day today because Catherine, let's just get real and honest here in our PJ party. Catherine has had a very busy week. Someone would say stressful. I, I won't say that. I won't put the words in her. her stressful. Words in mouth. It was. So we've decided, you know what, <laughs> work overflows into the weekend and you got to take the kids. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. Just get both out of the house for as long as you can.
1: That was the assignment. That today. was my
0: assignment. If I chose to accept it, I did. So
1: you did in winning colors. Thank you.
0: So I, you know, it's been a long day, and you know, we went to uh, something you're you're allowed to do in you know Southern California, which I never did as a kid. You never did as a kid, which is when it's nice out, you go to the beach in February, which is crazy to think about really as a is. kid from Colorado. Yeah, kid from Virginia to think, and I go to the beach with some friends that grew up in, in Southern California specifically, and they're just so used to it. They talk about going to the beach every day after high school cool it's such a part of their life like they feel so comfortable at the beach you and I are not quite as comfortable at the beach like we don't necessarily love the sand and I, I particularly know you don't love going there but you know I, th- I think we're going we're raising at least one if not two water babies who are just going to want to be in the the sand all day you
1: no know, I like the idea of it so much but actually being in sand is not my thing and actually being in water is not my thing so nope not really. Also, I grew up near the mountains, so that was just kind of my nature love.
0: Yeah, stay tuned for that because I don't really ski because I'm six foot five. It's a long way to the ground when you fall, and also I don't like to do any athletic endeavor in which Catherine is better than me.
1: Which is what? <laughs> Other than skiing, like th- that's the list, right? Yeah. Is there an? Is there something else?
0: I'm sure there is, and I don't want to play it. Well, I'll, I can't I'll, wait to find that. I'll out. throw the jenga board over. But um, our sons, I would like our sons to ski, and I know that uh, you're excited to get them on some skis, so hopefully later this uh, winter, early spring, you'll be back to Colorado and, and teaching our three-year-old how to get on some skis. But because of the long day that we had today, going to the beach, putting my kid on some training wheels on a bike for the first time, which is really exciting, obviously full exhaustion set in, and our kids were in bed at 6.20 tonight, which means they might be up at 4 tomorrow. Hopefully they sleep till 5 and get that 5.10. Yeah, that was my thing. Us?
1: I don't think so. I think they're still going to sleep till 5.10. That's why I wanted to put them to bed at that hour. They need more sleep. It's crazy how early they're getting up.
0: If any of you are out there with young kids who are sleeping at a schedule like ours, let us know. Because I've done a poll of a few friends that have kids in our age range. And we're by far the ones that get up the earliest. People are getting up between 7 and 8 a.m. Like this sounds Who like some magical people? world I've never heard of. No. The idea of you and I sleeping till 7 a.m. is crazy. I get up so early that I make I take a <laughs> nap before 9 a.m. This is not a joke. Catherine's laughing. This is not a joke. I wake up at 5 a.m. Some days. Some days. days. When it's my days to wake up. I, I get up at 5 a.m., I, I watch the kids till 7, Catherine takes over, then I have breakfast and I take a nap from 8 to 8.20 and then I take our son to school. I take a nap before 9 a.m. That's just insanity. Oh, boy. We're in right now. But because of the full exhaustion, we got ourselves a good night tonight, so.
1: The thing is like we could go to sleep earlier i usually go to sleep 9 9 30 um you go to sleep much later but there's something about the evening hour that is just like free time it feels so luxurious it feels very free you know what i'm saying whereas the morning time although can be very productive doesn't feel like free in the same sense you're not relaxed in that way
0: part of the reason why we call it the long finish as we said from the episode one it's like that little window from dinner to to bedtime is just brutal and doesn't matter what day of the week it is it's still tough and and just the whole day adds up as i said earlier each minute is not equal that feels profound i feel like i've said something very profound that maybe everyone else on earth has already said but
1: every minute is not equal
0: correct anyway Moving on to more profound things, there's something that um you guys, if you're listening to the podcast, you go back and listen to episode 19, which was our interview with Stevie Stacionis and Josiah Baldovino of Bay Grape in Oakland, California. Really good interview, really thoughtful and fun ways to think about uh, how how they put their their small business together in wine. But one thing that kind of popped up to me was your conversation with Josiah about mentorship. And I want to talk a few minutes about the idea of how one mentors someone in wine. Maybe talk about a couple of mentors or people that you think of as mentors and how you try to think of mentoring your staff and people who come to you saying, hey, can you teach me more about the wine and the business of wine? Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's such a cool thing in the wine industry, many sides of it. In winemaking, winemakers, in the vineyard, I guess I would call it apprentice and apprenticeship. It's about craftsmanship. And so I think apprenticeship is really, really apparent there. Great winemakers usually have a past of, oh, well, I worked harvest here and then I was assistant winemaker or I was the lead winemaker under this person and this person because it takes a while to learn your craft. You don't just go to school and automatically come out and know what you're doing. I'm sure some people do, but many don't. And in the restaurant side or retail side as well, mentorship is a big thing because there isn't really like a school for wine. There's the WSET. There is the Guild of Sommeliers, which are a way of learning about wine and either taking classes and then passing tests or just taking tests, but it's not a structured way of having someone that's working with you one-on-one. And there are so many nuances in the industry. I guess I would just say there's also like a lot of people who don't even care about a certification. So having a mentor and who trained you is way more important than what school you went to or if you got a certification.
0: So let me ask you this. Let's say I'm a young person or novice to wine, regardless of age. And I said, I'm interested in learning more about wine. I'm I'm curious about making wine my profession. How do I go about doing that? What's some advice that you'd give?
1: Well, want I've to? had a couple people in the Rustic Canyon family who have mentioned that to me. And my first advice was go work for someone that you really believe in and go work for a list that you're excited about where you can learn about those wines. Either way would be awesome. If you're going to work for a restaurant that has a great list, you're going to automatically learn from the person who buys because you're going to learn all the wines on that list. And that's going to be valuable to you. You're going to be selling those wines. That's going to be w- more wines that you know. You can also go to be learning from someone else that you really admire. For me, I had worked in the restaurant industry for a long time, but wanted to open Esther's wine shop and bar. And I went to work at Domain LA because I wanted to work with Jill, who runs Domain LA, Jill Bernheimer, because she is running a small shop that had a lot of attention and had a really awesome curated selection and of wines and was revered in the industry. And it's that place is really really special in Los Angeles and so I wanted to work there because I wanted to learn specifically learn from her and a mentor can be someone that is mentoring you professionally personally and or both and I think I've had many in this along the way but she was really special in just showing me and teaching me about what it takes to run a shop and it, it's not necessarily that she is like I'm going to be your mentor or I'm going to teach you it's just by what watching someone and having that person be open to sharing when you have a question. Oh, why do you want to know those specifics about your customers? Why do you ask them those questions? Oh, because I want to be thoughtful and thinking about them when I'm buying wines. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) You know, really simple things that she would just think about all the time. She would think about specific customers and having specific wines and different styles with them in mind. She has amazing memory. That was something I really learned from her and admired.
0: That's really cool. So if you're the person that's looking to be mentored, looking to enter into the business, you're basically saying there are some people out there who understand they're being mentors, but some of them you just sort of have to watch and learn and sort of glean from them and understand the the right time to ask the questions that you want to ask.
1: Yes. I think there are people, almost anyone can be a mentor if they're really great at their job. They don't necessarily have to be a teacher. You can be a learner just by watching and seeing, by observing, by asking questions in a thoughtful way. That person can be a mentor. -er to you. They don't have to be a teacher. That's not what it is. Mentoring is very different than teaching. It's not a class. Yeah.
0: When you took over the Rustic Canyon Wine Program, I know there was a couple people between you and Josh, but what were the things that you learned either from the people that came before you or Josh himself that, maybe not mentorship, but the things that, that, you know, just, again, watching people do their work and learning what to take and what not to take?
1: Well, with him, he wanted to sit with me for three months and taste with me and see what I observed, see what questions. I asked, see what I thought about certain wines. And then he had confidence in what I was doing. It was more to me watching him, a sense of how he responded emotionally to certain wines. And also like I could see his taste. So I knew, oh, I know what wines he likes. That was important that I knew that. And also just like the heart and the ethos of the program, which I knew because I had worked there for a long time, you know, so that was already like kind of a question. I think more than just in the wine program, He has been a mentor in terms of being a business owner, being a visionary, being someone who has ideas and how to bring those ideas to fruition. He's certainly a mentor in that sense because I think that's his born skill set. So I take more of that from him. Even
0: Did you ever taste with Jill?
1: I tasted with Jill every day I worked. So, Absolutely. And, then, and, and I noticed so... I learned so many things from her. For
0: example, like without peeling back the curtain too much, how did tasting with Jill differ from tasting with Josh?
1: Jill was never and is not afraid to say what she thinks. And I found that so freeing and so helpful in terms of tasting. She also like Josh isn't tied to a set of descriptors or sommelier approved language or whatever. So it was more free and it felt really authentic when whenever she was tasting, she gave a truly honest and thoughtful response. If she was into the wine, it was like it was just fun. And if she didn't like the wine, it didn't resonate with her, you know, but it was fun. And I loved that about it. She's also an insanely intelligent person, and so the, either the references she would use or the questions that she would ask importers, distributors were always fascinating to me. And that helped me learn more too. I realize that's just as important the questions that you're asking.
0: One other thing I think that I mean this is my own observation is that you kind of your taste in wine leans a little bit more classic and traditional and Jill's leans a little bit more towards the natural I don't really know what to describe it's it's like a little bit left of yours if we're on the spectrum. and I think she's actually pulled you a little bit more in that direction, which is uh, 100%. interesting to 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 watch.
1: For sure. Whenever we would agree on a wine that was so exciting, she was like, well, we have to get this. (laughs) But more and more of those happened. And um, we weren't out of sync. And I think I totally felt respected by her too. I think that's an important thing in the mentorship that the mentor, they don't have to be a teacher, but they do have to believe in you because they have to be open and have to be willing to share. And the person who wants to be mentored has to be super passionate, has to be persistent, but not annoying, has to be available, has to make themselves like just there all the time. I think it's about time. I think it's about being present. And I think it's about showing up. Consistency. If you're there every day for two years, being open, sometimes asking questions, not being annoying, looking, observing, you're going to learn a ton. That's what it is.
0: So knowing that people come to work at Esther's oftentimes to learn from you, how do you see yourself as a mentor and what are you trying to give back to people? How do you make yourself available? What is your thought process in that going through Esther's?
1: I mean, one big thing is like inviting everyone to taste with me. Anyone from the staff could come to our weekly tastings, but I taste with the somms from all the restaurants and we taste together. And I think that that kind of pulls away the curtain, you know, and makes it, more available. It's not like a test. There isn't like someone waiting to see what you think. It's we sit there and sometimes we talk and sometimes we don't talk. And over time, I think people who sit with me like, oh, they know what I respond to, where I ask questions, what's important. That's what it is. That's what learning is. And also, same as we were talking about before, learning from the list, like knowing, wow, you wanna come to Esther's and learn about Burgundy. It's a great place to do that. This cellar is really deep in Burgundy. This is a place where you can come and take inventory on those bottles and touch those bottles and see them on the list and learn about them. Mentorship, as I've said, it isn't just about teaching, it's about being open to what's there. So just knowing, oh, wow, I'm working with these wines. I could take the opportunity to learn about them while I'm here with this person, and maybe ask them questions. That's awesome.
0: I think that's a good point because a lot of things that we talk about on this podcast is getting the you know you the listener out there and us to better understand what we like about wine. What wines do we gravitate towards? How do we kind of learn to extend our reach of what we like? Once we we know we like a varietal, how we kind of keep pushing on that. And once you learn, like I love this, I'm passionate about these winemakers, these varietals. Let me go find those places that champion those those things that I like and. Try to work with them
1: yeah and and it's not that you have to like get out your book and study for four hours which you know studying is important but being in an active mentorship is about being there being in that relationship and that's more than just teaching facts to somebody it's about sharing a lot more than that
0: well I know that there are other people in the wine industry and restaurant business with whom you respect and have learned from and maybe consider mentors. But Jill and Josh are the first two names that come to my mind when I think of mentors for you. And I think that's interesting. I think probably a lot of people listening to the podcast are interested in wine or maybe want to learn about wine. So hopefully they'll they'll glean something from this convo on this fine Saturday night. But now let's get to the fun part. Let's get to the wine. Catherine, you want to do a quick recap on what we're drinking tonight and why yes. we're so excited?
1: So this is the Bow and Arrow. Rhinestones is the name of the wine. It's Pinot Noir and Gamay. Those are the grape varietals. It's from the Johan Vineyard. So all sourced from there in the Willamette Valley. Vintage 2018. This is such a delicious wine. And it's probably the flagship of this little winery. The winery is owned by Scott Frank. He was actually living in New York and witnessed the Twin Towers going down in another skyscraper and was like, I got to get out of here. Moved to Portland, worked at a small little retailer and started getting into wine and was thinking like, how do I make wine? And in Oregon that's not crazy crazy hard to find someone to sell you grapes in the Willamette Valley and then rent a space in Portland and make your wine I mean obviously it's hard but it's not prohibitive and he did it and he's doing it and he's really passionate about Loire Valley grape varietals. so that means Pinot Noir, Gamay, also Cabernet Franc. He has a blend that's Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon. And for white varietals, Malon de Bourgogne, which is the white variety in Muscadet. I think he has other Loire Valley whites too. Maybe Sauvignon Blanc or something. I can't remember. But all Loire Valley inspired grape varieties. But he spent a harvest working with John Paul at Cameron Winery, which is kind of an iconic Oregon winery. And then John Paul sort of drafted him to be assistant winemaker or winemaker there. And so he learned a ton from John Paul. And wow, that's how you do it right there. Go with the master. Obviously... Scott Frank has a different perspective than Cameron, which is cool. Cameron is focused on Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and Bow and Arrow is all about Loire Valley varietals. It's also about wines that are affordable. He has some higher end wines, but he's super excited about wines that are just like easy to get and drink on a weekday, like just for the people. So I love that about him. He's also a family man. He's married to Dana Frank, who is such a cool woman in the wine business. She's worked on the restaurant side for a long time. She has a place called Bar Norman now in Portland and they have a daughter. So I'm kind obsessed with them
0: yeah perfect for our show
1: yeah let's get them on and
0: I remember you saying this earlier but they talk about you know wanting to make wine just super drinkable right you talk about the drinkability of wine
1: yeah on his website he says while there's no one house style we embrace a principle of drinkability and low intervention a humble word that embodies the spirit of wine drinking we celebrate
0: I mean if you can make wines affordable drinkable with low intervention
1: and coming from a biodynamically farmed vineyard what?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of hits all That's the quadrants that you want in a wine, you know? Totally. And plus, the label's cool.
1: Totally eye-catching, cute label. Like, when we have this... On the shelves at Esther's, it flies away.
0: Do you know of any other uh, Pinot Gamay blends out there? Is that, a, is that a common blend?
1: It's not necessarily common, but it is. it does have an origin, which is the region of Chevronay in the Loire Valley. And there's some Malbec there, some Cabernet Franc, but there's a lot of Gamay and Pinot Noir blends there. So this is a nod to Chevronay.
0: The nose is so pretty. I mean, it's just a popping off nose.
1: The nose is like those it's dried like rose raspberry.
0: petal or something like Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Rose petals, candied raspberry, strawberry, definitely cherry in there too like a cherry juice almost
0: really pleasing it'd be so fun for a group because i feel like people are just gonna be happy when they drink this thing
1: and the body is light and dry but there's like a little bit of tannin there's a little bit of structure to it and the finish is kind of herbal there's like some dried thyme or something on the finish which makes it it starts fruity and then it ends savory so it's kind of got everything
0: what a special wine now wine and food pairings for this wine. What are we thinking?
1: Pinot's such a great wine. Gamay is such a great wine. It really is. So I mean, it's it, like it's, perfect pairing. It really hits
0: your sweet spot and, and mine. So
1: Because this is just a fresh, delicious, not too serious wine, I think of things that I want to eat all the time, like a margarita pizza or just a great veggie burger or a bean stew. Oh,
0: there it is.
1: But it can be elevated too. It would be great with like a salmon, roasted salmon with moral mushrooms and some like earthy grains you know wheat berry or some kind of like or farro or some kind of heavy grain it would be great with some kind of mushroom base mushroom stroganoff or mushroom soup would be great with this it would be such a bright pretty lift it could be great with kind of a funky cheese because this wine is so pure and bright and light sort of a dense barnyardy cheese would be great with it too
0: are these wines accessible throughout the country do you think or
1: i know they are on the coasts certainly in Oregon they're available that's all I know
0: I know I'm including coasts I'm probably we should include Chicago in yeah, yeah 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 you know, I would Houston, think they would, would be think in sh- in some places big,
1: big time cities they're yeah, probably yeah big time there. cities
0: so probably know,
1: in Boulder for my mom and dad yeah in
0: Boulder maybe at Barrel Thief in Richmond but you should look on our Instagram I hope you all follow us on Instagram because we put the picture of the wines we drink every week on there so if nothing else take the picture of the Instagram into the wine store and say hey we describe the wine on the Instagram as well and say hey can you find something? Similar to this. It's a really good way to sort of have a conversation, which is something that Catherine preaches on the podcast, which is just have a conversation with the wine proprietor in your area. But, Catherine, if we can't find this wine in the area where some of our listeners live, some comps. I mean, you talk about this blend that's been described. Yeah,
1: Chevrony, you can look for. Wines from the Loire Valley that are Pinot Noir and Gamay based. Um, certainly, there's Pinot Noir in every wine store in the U.S. I mean, that's one of the top varieties.
0: Could you spell Cheverny?
1: C H E V. E-R-N-Y. Beautiful palaces there, too. If you want to take a trip to the Loire, which I highly recommend, I did that with my mother, it is a great mom trip because there's a lot of castles, a lot of art. Look for reds from the Loire Valley that are not Cabernet Franc. You can look for Pinot Noir from the Loire Valley, the Pinot Noir Gamay Blends. It's not too common in the United States or any other region. Pretty unique. Oregon. Oregon oregon i'm sure there are some in california too but it's just not everywhere but cheverny that's kind of your go-to
0: i think this wine is delicious i love they talk about drinkability affordability low intervention approachable pleasing and pretty label i mean this really hits ticks off all the boxes
1: plus comes from cool guy cool wife they got a family i mean so cool
0: Okay, now we get to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I'm going to go first because it's an album I've been waiting five years for. came out. On Valentine's Day, it's the new album from Tame Impala. It's called *The Slow Rush*. I'm sure a lot of you out there have listened to Tame Impala. If you haven't, you should give it a try. Him a try. The artist's name is well, he goes by Tame Impala. It's by the creator Kevin Parker from Australia, who plays with a live band, a fully formed Tame Impala, but he makes all the music himself, and he's gotten a lot of like. Love to watch this guy get love in the rap world. He's not, it's not even close to rap, it's kind of rock. It's almost like it's, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like danceable rock. And he's got a new album out, and it's almost a little self-helpy and new agey in some spots. I mean, he, he probably wouldn't deny this. He made it in LA and also in Australia. He's playing at the Forum. He had a headline Coachella last year. He's gotten, he's one of the top 10 most streamed artists on Spotify that really no one like knows about but his music is just beloved and i'm one of people to love it too like the new album a lot i'm going to see him next month at the forum he was making part of the album when the fire started in malibu last year and he had to be evacuated from the house which had a studio when he was making some of the music so i'm sure a lot of you are into it um but you should give some tame impala a listen if you have not found him yet and check it out so uh, we've been waiting five years i'm super excited and i'm excited to see him next month Catherine, what do you have?
1: So this week I had the privilege to have dinner with Dana Cowan, longtime editor of Food & Wine magazine, who is now running a fabulous podcast called Speaking Broadly, where she interviews women in the food world about their lives and careers. And she had a dinner party with lovely woman longtime writer and contributor to Food and & Wine and also a friend of the Rustic Canyon family, Jennifer Sommer. And they had a Sober a dinner party with a bunch of other culinary ladies in LA. And it was a really inspiring night. Inspiring to meet other women in the Food & Wine world and have them tell their stories. Everyone was supposed to bring a dish for the night. I was totally intimidated by that and brought wine. And then we had a round table where everyone is sharing the story of their dish and how that represents them or where they are in their career. And it was neat because not unlike the podcast where we interviewed the couple last week, somehow when you're put on the spot with a big question in a group, you share more than you might normally in small talk and just getting to know people. So I felt immediately to have a connection with some other women that are doing exciting things that live across town and are too busy to just get coffee so it was a really special night also most women at the table have at least one kid and they're doing it so i love that i love to see people making family and career work together somehow and that was awesome
0: okay that's it we've done it episode 20 we've done 20 episodes of this show Episode 20 is in the books. Thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to the long finish. Catherine and I love doing the show. It's basically our date night where we get to drink wine and catch up with each other. (laughs) We Um, sometimes,
1: seriously, you guys, sometimes we open a really good wine for this podcast and not something that's been in the fridge for a day because we're like, you know what? We really enjoy this time that we spend together, and we pay attention to the wine in a really extra special way. Not so it's that, like honoring it. It's I, awesome. Yeah, and
0: I learned I learned things tonight, so this is great. So thank you to everyone for listening to the show. If you have an opportunity to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or anywhere else where podcasts are found, it would mean so much to us. We love knowing that you all are out there to hear what you're responding to about the podcast. So if you have a chance to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, it w- would really be be exciting for us thank you so much Catherine. where can they find you and the long finish on social media
1: you can find me at katherine wild coker and the long finish at the long finish on instagram and facebook katherine wild coker and the long finish
0: you can find me on instagram and twitter at tug coker for both thank you again everyone for listening We're going to be back next week with an all-new episode. We have some great, a couple more guests in store we hope to uh, announce soon, but we're really excited about that. But until then, everyone go out, have a great week, enjoy some great wine, and happy drinking.
1: Ciao. Ciao.